It's Genesis chapter 26, starting at verse 1. Now, there was a famine in the land, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister, for he feared to say my wife, thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of the window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring of water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarrelled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Esek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarrelled over that as well. So he called its name Sitna. And he moved on from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it, so he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Asuzath, his advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? 
They said, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will not do us, you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths. And Isaac sent them on their way and they departed from him in peace. That same day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug and said to him, we have found water. He called it Sheba and therefore the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beeri, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basimath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jess, thank you very much for reading for us. It would be a great help to me and to you also to keep Genesis 26 open in front of you. Um, There is an outline you may have picked up on your way in. Uh, That might help us also as we go through. And let me lead us in prayer. Some words from Mark chapter 9. The father cries out, I believe, help my unbelief. Father God, we do long that we would have a growing deepening trust in Jesus. We know that none of us are worthy to hear you speak. I'm not worthy to speak your words, but we know that you are gracious and merciful. So please delight to speak to us, to grant us understanding that our faith in Jesus might be strengthened in his name and for your glory we pray. Amen. I don't know whether you've seen it yet, but as a family, we've just finished watching Planet Earth 3 recently. I think it was out just before Christmas. It's the BBC's latest natural history series with Attenborough once again in hushed tones describing various animals eating other animals. And as the name gives away, it is a sequel, Planet Earth 3. It comes 17 years after the original Uh, This time they've got better cameras, better equipment, new science and so on. But basically, it is the same stuff once again. Animals swimming about in water and so on. If we do watch these programs, we know what to expect, don't we? We may not have seen it all before, uh, but in a sense, we have seen it all before. And maybe we got the same feeling in Genesis 26, uh, like some Hollywood blockbuster remake, The Patriarch 2, Abraham's return. Because when we begin to look, we we see there are loads of links back to Abraham. Uh, Do you remember way back in chapter 12, if we were here when we were looking at it, Abraham faces a famine. It's the same again here. And they both face the same temptation to go to Egypt. Both Abraham and Isaac receive God's call and blessings and promises Both try and pass their wife off as their sister. In fact, Abraham tries it twice. Both get found out. Both have dealings with Abimelech and Fickle. Both end up in quarrels with shepherds because their flocks have got too big. Both give the same names to their wells. Both sign a treaty at Beersheba. I hope we begin to get the point. But why? 
Why do we get this seeming repeat? We're even told it's not the same famine in verse 1, just in case we think this might be a, a cut and paste job. Well, I take it God doesn't waste his breath. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. So in part, this must be showing us the Lord remains committed to his people. He's not just the God of Abraham, but also the God of Isaac. But it doesn't take a chapter to tell us that. What I think is being underlined is just how resolutely committed the Lord God is to his plans, purposes, and promises. God is absolutely determined to bless his people, and therefore we should be desperate not to miss out on his blessing. Now just look back to verse 34 of chapter 25, just that last sentence. Thus Esau despised his birthright. And then right at the end of our passage today, verse 34 of chapter 26, when Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beeri, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basimath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. And we could go from the end of chapter 25 to the end of chapter 26, and it would make complete sense, but we get this episode, or rather this sequel of Isaac in the middle, and it's a contrast Esau highlights why it is so awful to miss out on God's blessing because God will resolutely bless his people. And that's the big idea here. You'll see it on the handout. God is determined to keep his promises and bless and multiply his people. Verse 1 again. Now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, and the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I'll give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I'll multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice. And kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Now, we may have a little map on the screen. I don't know if it made it through via email. There we go. That's probably too small for any of us to read any of the names on there. Maybe you can look at it later. Um, What it should try and show us is where Isaac is heading. It's clear he's on his way down to Egypt, uh, which is why the Lord tells him not to go there. That's Isaac's plan. But instead, Isaac is to trust God, and he gets these marvelous, amazing promises given to his father Abraham, now given to him. By and large, it is a restatement of the promises, but there are a couple of additions. And now it's not just Canaan, but but all these lands. And perhaps most wonderfully, we get these words, I will be with you. We can probably get rid of the map by now. We're all just getting confused by it. I will be with you. It's been implicit so far, but God now makes it crystal clear. He will be with Isaac. And can we spot what's also new in verse 5? God's blessing isn't tied to our obedience, but the obedience of another. Isaac is blessed because of Abraham's obedience. But we might be thinking, well, what gives? We know Abraham certainly wasn't perfect. In fact, he stuffs up in exactly the same way Isaac does in this passage. 
Well, isn't it a, a model, a snapshot of the gospel being foreshadowed? Uh, receiving God's blessing because of the obedience of another. Which wonderfully means it's not down to us. Uh, just a little pointer to Jesus' obedience, bringing us blessing. It is all of grace. Uh, now, I don't want to get into the, the wrongs or rights of, of bribing children or incentivization, I think, as the Americans call it. Uh, but we all know how it works, don't we? I'm dragging three, this is theoretical, of course. I'm dragging three screaming boys around the supermarket. And in desperation, I turn to them and say, look, if you can just hold it together for 10 more minutes and stop hitting each other and stop knocking stuff off the shelves and stop making such a racket, then I'll, go, I'll get you some sweets. Uh, maybe I'm just the only parent in the world who's ever considered that. But it is the principle of how life works, isn't it? We behave in a certain way, we do or don't do certain things, and reward or affirmation follows. But just look at the order here. Right at the outset, God gives this word of blessing. Last week, do you remember we saw God chose Jacob before he or Esau had done anything good or bad? And now we see he reiterates his promises before we find out what Isaac's really like. It is a, a wonderful reassurance as we move into verse 6. You see, it's the same promises, but also the same problems. God will bless his people in our frailty. And let's pick it up in verse 6. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, She's my sister. For he feared to say my wife, thinking lest the men of this place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he'd been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she's your wife. How then could you say she's my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this you've done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. There's a real feeling of, here we go again. And we don't know if it's exactly the same Abimelech who Abraham deals with in chapter 20, or if it's a throne name. I don't see much reason not to think it's the same person. But either way, Isaac bottles it in exactly the same way as his dad. Now, passing his wife off as his sister, putting his life above his wife, which incidentally is the exact opposite of what Ephesians 5 teaches. But he gets found out when Abimelech spies him through a window, having fun with Rebekah in a most unsisterly way. He's a coward. He's disobedient. He's deceptive. And he's not trusting God. It's not outright moral failure or disobedience though is it Isaac starts off well with commendable faith and obedience he doesn't go down to Egypt but then he falls into this all too familiar or we could say all too familial sin like father like son but before we throw the first stone aren't we just the same isn't this so true of us? Maybe not pretending our wife is our sister, but this mixture of, of faith and failure. We know this frailty all too well, even as believers. I wonder what we make of the post office scandal in the news at the moment. There's been a huge amount of injustice, hasn't there, over many years. Now, one thing is pretty clear, though. No one wants to accept the blame. 
And people are very quick to explain why they're not the one at fault. It's quite a natural reaction. But the Christian can be very realistic about how, about how short we fall. That's why Genesis 26 is such great news for those trusting in God. Uh, Jesus is clear. Moses wrote Genesis. And so in the first instance, these are words to God's people on their way to the promised land. And aren't they words we need to hear too? A reminder we can't escape sin. We see in scripture just how weak we are. How so often we're a mixed bag. God's blessing, his presence with us isn't dependent on my obedience. But Christ's, it has to be. God's promises, his plans, his blessing aren't at stake when I sin. Now, of course, we're not excusing our sin any more than we're excusing Isaac's lies, deception, cowardice, his lack of trust in God. But God's plans and purposes are bigger than our sin. Now, just think about it. What do we expect in verse 12? Then the Lord rebuked Isaac for being such an untrusting wimp. Is that what we get? And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. It's a massive crop, especially when we remember there's a famine. God will resolutely bless his people, even in our frailty and even in our fear. Things start off well for Isaac, don't they? Verse 12 again, Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. But quickly it all takes a turn for the worse. Verse 14, he had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there things begin to go not so well, pun intended. Uh, Isaac's forced out of Gerar into the surrounding area and then he ends up having this succession of spats with local shepherds. Verse 18, Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Esek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also, so he called its name Sitna. Isaac's already been afraid back in verse 7. Now he's facing arguments and opposition. We can see it in the naming of the wells, can't we? Esek means dispute or contention or quarrelling. Sitna means opposition, hostility, accusation. It's a little foretaste of the Exodus, isn't it? God's people being thrown out of the land. And it's a snapshot of the life of any faithful believer. Doesn't Jesus say as much? You will be hated by all for my name's sake. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. The Christian life isn't going to be one of constant ease. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Maybe we're finding it tough at work. The banter's heating up, becoming a little bit more personal. 
We're aware we're getting sidelined for various projects because Jesus comes above our career and our boss knows it. Or we're just fitting in less and less with a particular group of friends. The fact we won't get drunk or gossip or swear just seems to make them feel uncomfortable around us as if they, they can't be themselves. Or in many places in the world, there's more obvious, overt hostility and opposition. But it doesn't mean we've lost God's blessing. And it, that means we don't need to fear. Verse 22. He moved from there and dug another well and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth saying, for now the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I'm the God of Abraham, your father, fear not, for I'm with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And, I, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. God lovingly, he graciously restates his covenant promises. Now for Isaac then, God's blessing was shown in abundant material provision. And there's some continuity and some discontinuity between Old and New Testaments. Uh, material abundance is no longer an indicator of God's blessing in the same way. Uh, but just because Isaac found a well where he didn't have a quarrel doesn't mean everything will necessarily work out for us in this life as we might want. Often it's as we face hostility, God brings about blessing and keeps his promises. 1 Peter 2, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And God's steadfast presence with his people is still the center of his blessing. So as we read Genesis 26, we mustn't think Isaac is any more blessed when he ceases quarreling or when he gets water. God is resolutely committed to his people. He will bless them. He is with them. He will multiply them. Whether it's our own sin, our frailty, whether it's conflict, opposition, and fear, none of it puts God's purposes in jeopardy. And we can be confident of this truth even to the end of our days. You'll see again on the outline, God will resolutely bless his people in our frailty, even in our fear, and even in our finish. What I mean is when all is said and done, right there, all the way till the end, God will be with us. In a sense, chapter 26 is giving us a portrait of the whole of Isaac's life. It's the only chapter we get focusing exclusively on Isaac. And perhaps we can sense the resolution, the almost happy ending in the final section. Verse 26, when Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, his advisor, and Fickle, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm, just as we've not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You're now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast and they ate and drank. In the morning, they rose early and exchanged oaths and Isaac sent them on their way and they departed from him in peace. That same day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug and said to him, we found water. He called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. Seems like it's a, a fitting finale, doesn't it? All's well that ends well. 
You see, back in verse three, the Lord God promises, I will be with you and will bless you. And then verse 24, I am with you. And now we read in verse 28, the Lord has been with you. And you see how God's presence with Isaac is underlined as a future, as a present, and as a past reality. The whole of his life, God has been with him. And doesn't Isaac's life show us God is with us in the good times and the bad? As we've gone from famine to feast, from, from problems to peace, as we've seen obedience, followed by failure, uh, followed by Isaac building an altar and calling on the name of the Lord. Throughout all of it, we've had that constant reminder, the supreme blessing in Isaac's life isn't his material possessions, isn't peace and a lack of quarreling. It is the Lord himself, his presence with him. Whatever stage of life we find ourselves at, if we're a Christian, we can be confident God is with us. And whether we've been a Christian for one day, one year, one lifetime, he is with us. And whether we're young or old, if we're in Christ, then God is with us. But why do we need to know all of this? Well, remember, in the first instance, this was written to God's people on their way to the promised land. Will they keep going? And then remember verses 34 and 35. Initially, they seem out of place, don't they? Esau was 40 years old. He took Judith, the daughter of Beery, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basimath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. But as we said at the beginning, these Esau references sandwich this episode. It's Esau once again living only for the here and now. The last person to marry two wives was Lamech back in chapter 4. And it was a picture of outright rejection of God and his word. So we're confronted with a question. God will keep his promise to multiply his people and bring blessing to the nations. Will we trust in him? Keep trusting him. Or will we reject his promises and spurn his blessing? Each Generation makes the same mistakes. We can't escape sin. And so each generation needs to keep learning to put their trust in God. Moses asks as he writes, will the Exodus generation put their trust in God? God asks us the same question today. Will we put our trust in him and keep trusting him through thick and thin, through good and bad? In spite of our frailty, even in the midst of conflict, God will keep his promises. It is a wonderful reassurance, but also a warning. Having the winning lottery ticket is no good if it remains stuffed down the back of your sofa. Uh, We mustn't miss out on this blessing. If you're not yet a Christian, please don't miss out on this. As we make the decision to repent, to, to turn back and turn to Christ... We're making the decision to be part of God's eternal purposes in calling together a people who belong to him for all time. We're making the decision we can never regret because no matter what happens, God is with us. There is no bigger danger, no bigger mistake than missing out on being part of God's eternal plans of rejecting his blessing, his presence with us. Chapter 26 is, in a sense, setting up chapter 27 as Jacob steals Esau's blessing 
Of course, it's not right he does it, but here we see why it is worth it, why it's so valuable, like some massive shimmering diamond. It's not okay to pinch it, but you can see why you'd want to. God's blessing is amazing. It is unstoppable for his people. Our frailty, our fears, even our finality are no obstacle. But even for those of us who are believers, how often we live as if God's blessing were a trivial thing. As if having God with us uh, were just a trinket. And doesn't Isaac give us a great reminder of just how wonderful it is to be part of God's people, to be reminded of God's resolute, determined commitment to his plan of salvation. No one and nothing can thwart it or undo it. And we can see even more clearly how in the gospel it is true. And we see in Jesus the full splendor of God with us. I just think how Matthew's gospel begins and ends. With God with us. Matthew 1 verse 23. Behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which means God with us. And then as we say week by week. The very last verse. Chapter 28 verse 20. Behold I am with you always. To the very end of the age. What is God doing in his world? He is multiplying a people for himself, blessing them, and through them bringing blessing to the nations as more and more people turn to Christ. And because of the cross, we can know that God is with us. We can be even more confident than Isaac. God can forgive sinners like Isaac, like you, and like me, and so he can be with us. He can bless us. And we can be confident he will always be with us through his spirit, whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. And Jesus is with us precisely as God fulfills his purposes to multiply a people for himself and to bring blessing to the nations. As we seek to make disciples of Jesus Christ, he is with us. As people receive blessing, the forgiveness of sin, eternal life with God, Jesus is with us even when we fail to live for him and speak of him as we should. Jesus is with us always. When we're opposed and face hostility, Jesus is with us. And when we draw our final breath and enter into glory, Jesus will be with us. Let's pray together. They said, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. Loving Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your undeserved kindness and goodness to your people. Thank you for your commitment to your purposes and plans and promises. Thank you for how you blessed Isaac, even though he didn't deserve it, that you were with him his whole life. And thank you that because of Jesus and in and through him, you are with us. Please help us to be growing in gratitude. Please help us to be growing in faith. And please, as we remember that Jesus is with us, would you help us to make this good news known to others, that they might know you in Jesus for themselves. In his name we pray. Amen.